Good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 132 of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, well, Sam wonders if we're in league with the Black Riders. Yeah, he's more than a little skeptical, it seems, but folks, we'll head back to the common room in just a moment. First, however, I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who is made of sterner stuff than I had guessed, (laughs) Alan Sisto. (laughs) Well, thank you, Sean. Let's just hope I don't have to prove it by surviving the wound of a Morgul blade anytime soon. Just to be clear, I have no healing abilities whatsoever, so if you do, you're dead, man. I'm sorry. Uh, well, all right. Just Let's replace just me with a good co-host, happen. okay? Maybe a cure light wounds or something. I can give you a few <laughs> hit points back. That's about Mass all I Mass heal. Mass heal. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Nothing that powerful. But anyway, before that happens, Alan? Well, today we're bringing you another new installment of The North Wing. Barlaman Butterbur had a room or two in the North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn made special for hobbits, and this is our place made special for some of our listeners to give us a chance to get to know them. Rooms at the North Wing are a little hard to come by these days, so only our patrons at the Elrond's Honorarium and Cairdan's Contribution Tiers are eligible. Now, if you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Please do. We've got a waiting list for the North Wing right now, but we'll get to them all soon, and we'll make room for more if necessary. That's right. Well then, for now, why don't we welcome tonight's guest to the North Wing, Bruce Bolton. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Bruce. Thanks for joining us. Well, Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, and what do you do? And then what do your loved ones think of all this Tolkien stuff that you're into? Do they think you're a total nerd? Do they like it? That sort of thing. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm a uh, maintenance specialist of lock systems in a public schools unified school district in, oh, okay. in Southern California. And uh, hmm. I've studied martial arts for years and will be soon testing for my black belt with my son. Oh, goodness. Well, oh, then cool. we better wow. not cross you. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I've actually seen you at a local event or two, haven't I? Uh, yes. And I'll be talking about that shortly. Yeah. Um, now, you asked, uh, what does my family think of my Tolkien fascination? Uh, I'll start yes. with the most recent uh, items and then travel <laughs> back into the distant past. Uh, <laughs> okay. Excellent. I love it. I'm currently running a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign based in Eriador. Okay. My daughter cool. is letting me uh, actually, after 41 years of mostly dungeon mastering, be a player character in a campaign she's running. Oh, fun. And I'm... Uh, high elf monk my okay. wife has a uh schrodinger's dwarves t-shirt and my brother <laughs> nice is Thank the you. proud owner of a schrodinger's dwarves hoodie <laughs> i have my uh tolkien uh, 2019 uh, t-shirt on order Excellent. as of this recording and congratulations on making your goal thank you Thank you very much. Recently, my my wife and I and my son went to the Pacific Inkling Festival uh, to see the uh, presentation by Dr. Serena Higgins and Mm -hmm. Inklings and other authors. And he uh, obligingly wore a Prancing Pony podcast t-shirt for me under his hoodie. And uh, so there were the (laughs) two of us with the- uh, Awesome. The T-shirts, but I forgot to get a picture taken. Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot about doing that as well. That would have been great. But clearly, at least your loved ones not only enjoy Tolkien with you, they enjoy even the podcast, it would seem. So that's a good thing. That's True. awesome to hear. So, Sean, you've got, uh, you've got the next question here, and I know we want to we get to this because it's got a little bit on uh, something special that Bruce has done. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to asking about this one. So, Bruce, some of our listeners may not know about this yet, but you set up the one and only official Prancing Pony podcast kinship 
on Lord of the Rings Online. Now, I know I really need to get into playing that sometime, and I, I have not yet, but that's sort of beside the point. Uh, you set up the kinship on the Lander of All server uh, to bring some listeners together in game. And well, you've been doing that for about a year now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's been going and what you guys have been up to there in game? Certainly. Uh, again, as you say, the Prancing Pony podcast is the name of the kinship. Uh, mm-hmm. And it has a kinship house on the Cape of Belfalus, which is available to VIP members. Uh, most Friday nights at uh, 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, we join together uh, at the Crossroads Bridge just west of Bree, and we spend about an hour and a half fishing as the hobby uh, that you can have in, in Lord of the Rings Online. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been able to join just a couple of times. My Friday nights are often busy with family, but uh, it's been it's been fun when I have had the chance. So I'm glad you're out there doing it. Yeah, thank you so much, Bruce. I've seen you post about it on Facebook a few times, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't have the game, and I, I keep thinking I need to get it just so I can just come out there and come fishing with you guys. But I probably need to <laughs> level up a little bit before I'd be able to make it out there, wouldn't I? Nah, nah. Not near Bree. All right, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, you could be almost, uh, you know, fifth level yeah. And uh, and and we'd take care of you. The hunters would shoot down any passing oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, bears or uh, boars. And my my captain will uh, will ensure that your health is maintained. So all right, very good. Thank you. Well, the uh, <laughs> the question that we ask everybody who comes to the prancing pony, and I'm sure you've already done your homework on this, Bruce, is when and how did you first discover Tolkien's works? What was your experience like, and why do you keep coming back? Yes, I, I have done my homework. And uh, <laughs> in fifth grade, a Kirsten at my school did a, a book report on The Hobbit, and that would have been about 1973. So oh, wow. thank you, Kirsten. Wow. And uh, some of the other things, uh, we had the LP of uh, Donald Swan's uh, The Road mm-hmm. Goes Ever On and On. For and, people under 35, yeah. I need to explain it. An LP is the long playing record. It's made out of vinyl. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I, I think just, I, I think you surprised how much the kids comeback. know about yeah. vinyl. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. I don't. Have, I'd have, probably have to explain eight tracks for sure. Though. Vinyl's <laughs> too cool for me now. Like I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's trendy. I, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very hipster. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no worries. It was great to hear the uh, professor's voice reciting from his works. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My brother uh, Robert B from California was into reading Tolkien and with a group of his friends, and uh, it was available for me to read in high school. I started out as a sophomore and was reading through it and got a little overwhelmed with the uh, heaviness of the pursuit part and Mm kind of set it aside for a bit and then happened to skip ahead a little bit. And then, uh, sadly, I I missed the respite of uh, Tom Bombadil's house the first Mm -hmm. time I read through it. Mm -hmm. So it was always pretty heavy that first time through. Glad to have found Tom when I did afterwards, so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, which is your favorite book in the Legendarium and why? And then if you can tell us your your favorite non-Legendarium work by Tolkien, if you have one. Very good. Favorite book in the Legendarium, book one. The Pursuit theme is almost too engaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. And then non-Legendarium, Tolkien's translation of Beowulf. Oh, yes. Oh, good one. That's an excellent choice. Very good. Well, and then before we move on to the lightning round, we have a little extra bonus question here. Any favorite Tolkien-related activities that you'd like to share, aside from playing Lotro, of course? Yes. Years ago, I received as a Christmas present from my aunt a uh, 
a copy of Avalon Hill's War of the Ring, and that was a oh, uh, yeah. a staple for Friday and Saturday nights for years. Uh, yeah. I think my my parents thought me extremely odd that I didn't actually <laughs> go out, but yeah, stayed yeah. inside. <laughs> there was one summer afternoon where we decided to play this uh, paper uh, square chit game. Uh-huh. My friend and his brothers were uh, in the area, and uh, one of them was rather disgruntled with us playing this game and decided <laughs> that it was time to do a cannonball into the water. Oh, no. And needless to say, uh, Middle oh, Earth no. disappeared under the wave. All the paper counters uh, disappeared. And yeah, you went the way of Numenor. You were basically playing Numenor oh, yeah. and didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> Seemingly yeah. the fury of Ose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to move on to our lightning round. Now, these are going to be just a a series of quick questions and answers, Bruce. So uh, we'll try to make the questions quick, and you uh, you can make the answers as quick as you can. And first one is, what's the one place in Middle-earth you wish you could visit? And maybe you already have visited it in Lotro. (laughs) (laughs) The the place I always think of is behind the the waterfall in Henneth Anwin. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, the window on the west. Yeah, the, the window on the west. That's that would be beautiful, wouldn't yeah. it? That's a great one. Good one. Who's your favorite elf from the first age? Finduilius. Uh, she's the oh, only yes. uh, named elf maiden, and she yeah. seemed to have that status uh, only due to bad judge of character. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's still hanging around waiting for Turin. Anyway, oh, oh, still too, <laughs> too soon. soon man. Yeah, too soon. Too soon. All right. How about Balrog wings? Actual or metaphorical? <laughs> metaphorical. Yes. Very good. Favorite poem or song in the legendarium? Favorite poem. The road goes ever on and on. Good choice. Probably Excellent. sung either by Ian Holm or Ian McClellan. Either one would be. Ah, good. yeah. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. Two good ones. All right. And then we'll finish up with a favorite author or book other than Tolkien. King James Version of the Bible. But if we're talking about fantasy right. or science fiction, uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern series by oh. Annie McCaffrey. And a, a friend of mine, Excellent. Dr. Michael B., was amazed that I even knew about Annie McCaffrey in the uh, late 70s. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd heard about her until much later than that myself. I think I, I read those in the in the 80s. And yeah. It's been a long time since I've gone back and read it. I, I think I, I remember even playing again. a Dragon Riders of Pern game on my Commodore 64 of all things. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, I think so. It may, it may have been on a different system, but that's the platform I'm remembering. Anyway, I digress. Bruce, those are some great <laughs> answers, and we really appreciate them, and we really appreciate your time, Bruce. So thank you for joining us. We've enjoyed having you here in the North Wing, but for now, I think it's time for all of us to head back to the common room to join the rest of the listeners. Thanks again, Bruce, and we'll see you back here at our next Questions After Nightfall, if not sooner. Thank you. And now we return you to the podcast in progress. Well, it's always fun to catch up with some of our listeners, and we hope all of you enjoy hearing from others in the community. Uh We're going to get started here in just a minute, but first of all, we have a handful of, mm, let's say, clarifications we need to make. Yeah, addendums, yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly. They're not corrections. They really aren't corrections this time. They're just... No, actually, they're not. You're right. (laughs) they're, They're little amendments. Yes. And we managed to get a little ahead of our recording schedule near the end of the season, uh-huh. which is great for us for the most part. But it also <laughs> means that we're recording this episode right after the release of episode 125, yeah. uh, which is what all of these clarifications are addressing. So it's well, a, it's a all because of the holidays the and, the, yeah. uh, you know, the interview episode that we had to record a lot, you know, further yeah. advance, things like that. Yeah. 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 So we're a few episodes down the road, but these are all yeah. in reference to 125 once again. 
That's correct. So for starters, Patrick from Germany wrote in to tell us, I dare to disagree on a minor point in this episode. Ooh, dare, dare. He dares. I love it. I love it. All right. You argued that that ranger, this is him telling us that we argued that that ranger was so otherworldly to Barnuman that he felt free to talk about him as if he wasn't there. I read this scene to mean that Barnuman simply didn't notice Strider was in the room at all until he stepped out of the shadows and spoke up. My mental picture of Strider, who even explicitly mentioned that he knew how not to be seen, insert bad Monty Python joke here. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well done, Patrick. Absolutely. Well Are you sure sir. we're not related? <laughs> I know. That he's somebody who is perfectly able to blend in with the crowd or the background so that nobody takes notice until he himself decides that it's time to make himself noticed. Add to that, the room was probably dimly lit by a candle or two. On a side note, I really love how the two of you and I seem to think alike, at least when bad puns are concerned. He goes on to cite an example, but I think we've already proven that with the how not to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, actually, he probably is onto something. Yeah. Yeah. I went back and looked at that language again. And, and yeah, suddenly coming forward into the light is the passage. And that could very well mean that Strider was just unseen by Barlamin until that moment because he was hiding could in the be. shadows. Not yeah. sure how we missed that. I like the other version, though. <laughs> I like oh, the it's, other interpretation. It's funnier. It's a lot funnier. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what's going on there. So good probably. catch on that, Patrick. Well, on a similar note, in regards to our numerous jokes about Strider, Alan T. wrote yeah. to tell us, I think that the answer to Strider's presence in the Hobbit's room is simply that he quietly followed and came in with them. Hmm. They discovered yeah. Strider had come with them was literal. If so, further proof of their uh, nonchalance, and he put quotation marks around that, so I think he means the uh, the glug-glug nonchalance there. <laughs> uh, the liquid version of nonchalance. The, the liquid, liquid nonchalance. It's not just liquid courage. It's also right. liquid nonchalance. It's, it's liquid a lot of things. Yeah. It's, a, it's liquid a lot of things, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, maybe so. Maybe they're just still kind of uh, under the influence, and so it mm -hmm. just... Feels perfectly natural for a strange dude to just follow him back from the common room. I don't know. Drunk or sober, that ain't right. But anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it just isn't. But it is nope. a good thing that Strider keeps trying to teach him to be more cautious. I will say that. Somebody needs to. Yeah. Somebody better. All right. Well, finally, when we were talking about the biopic movie Tolkien, and hey, don't worry. For those of you who skipped that section, there aren't going to be any spoilers here for those who haven't seen it still. When we were talking about that, I told Sean that Derek Jacobi, uh, had narrated the audiobook of Farmer Giles of Ham. It's true. Mm -hmm. I was right, but <laughs> several of our listeners wrote in to tell us, and they're right, that that's not the only Tolkien audiobook narrated by Jacoby. He also narrated audiobook versions of Smith of Wooten Major, Leaf by Niggle, Roverandum, and Letters from Father Christmas. Now, we did get that information from a number of our listeners, but a hat tip to Alan R. in the UK, who was the first. And what great news it was for me. I had no idea that he had done any of those. And no, man, Derek Jacoby reading Smith of Wooten Major. I mean, that's seriously that's yeah. like that's got me written all over it. So I've got some shopping to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alan, I know you hinted that that was the last one that we had in this mm -hmm. uh, little addendum section of the of the show. Yes. But I do just I just want to acknowledge that we did receive some corrections from a couple of listeners on some of the points we raised in our review of the Tolkien movie couple of things that maybe we missed just, you know, on our first viewing or I guess second viewing for you. Sure. Well, yeah. But, you know, things that happened very quickly and, you know, we're trying to remember stuff. We're talking off the cuff. And a couple mm -hmm. of people wrote in to correct us on a couple of finer points. I, I don't want to talk about those here because I really don't want to yeah. spoil Keep anything. Keep our spoilers to that one have. segment. Exactly. Right. So so we won't be talking about those here. But just I want to acknowledge for those of you who reached out to us to correct a couple of things from the movie that we didn't remember correctly. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. We hear you loud and clear. We'll just have to let those errors stand rather than spoil the movie for anybody. And true, I hope you understand. True. 
You know who you are, hopefully. You know who you are, and thank you. And folks, I think we've got one more thing, right, Alan? That's not so much a clarification as an announcement, right? That's absolutely right. Folks, we want to thank all of you for helping us reach a milestone that, well, frankly, we never even dreamt about when we first launched back in February of 2016. Late last month, we hit the million download mark. Wow. Now, granted, it took three and a half years and 130 episodes. But with all that we have in front of us, really, we're just getting started in a way. So here's to several more, apparently. But thank you all for listening and for sharing, because that's what's gotten us there. Wow. Thank you. Thank you all so much. A million downloads. A million. I remember when we first started talking about this thing in early 2016, like you said. We thought like 10,000 felt like it was a a million years away. Like a million was not even something we were dreaming of. So it truly wasn't. Truly amazing. And thank you all so much. Yeah. I still remember hitting 100,000 on Mother's Day a year and three months in, you know, Mother's Day 2017, mm. and thinking, that is phenomenal. I can't believe we actually did that. And to and think that, that was just, two, just barely like, two years ago. Just yeah. barely two years ago, yeah. It's amazing. So thank you wow. again, everybody, because you're the ones who make it happen. Well, let's go ahead and begin the last chapter of book one. I can't believe it. It's the last chapter of season three of the Prancing Pony podcast, Flight to the Ford. I'm a little sad, actually. I know, me too, We've got a few episodes on it, so it's not like this is the end or anything, but... No. Yeah. And where else are we going to start in the very last chapter, but at the very beginning? Sean, why don't you go ahead and uh, open up the chapter for us? I am so glad I finally get to start at the very beginning, because it is (laughs) a very good place to start. It is. When Frodo came to himself, he was still clutching the ring desperately. He was lying by the fire, which was now piled high and burning brightly. His three companions were bending over him. What has happened? Where is the pale king? He asked wildly. They were too overjoyed to hear him speak to answer for a while, nor did they understand his question. At length, he gathered from Sam that they had seen nothing but the vague shadowy shapes coming towards them. Suddenly, to his horror, Sam found that his master had vanished, and at that moment a black shadow rushed past him, and he fell. He heard Frodo's voice, but it seemed to come from a great distance, or from under the earth, crying out strange words. They saw nothing more until they stumbled over the body of Frodo, lying as if dead, face downwards on the grass with his sword beneath him. Strider ordered them to pick him up and lay him near the fire, and then he disappeared. That was now a good while ago. Sam plainly was beginning to have doubts again about Strider, but while they were talking, he returned, appearing suddenly out of the shadows. He seems to do that a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I just I, we were just talking about that, and here he's doing it again. It's kind of his thing. <laughs> they started, and Sam drew his sword and stood over Frodo. But Strider knelt down swiftly at his side. I am not a black rider, Sam, he said gently, nor in league with them. I have been trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again but there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand. A good thing. We need a little bit of a break. A very good thing, yeah. You know, there's something, I know we didn't put this in our notes, but that little moment there where where Strider says, I'm not a black rider, Sam, he said gently. It makes me kind of double down on my take that earlier when he, this is back in Prancing Pony, when he said with Sam's permission, some people thought he was being sarcastic or funny or tongue-in-cheek, and I thought he was being sort of humbly... I think I thought he was being sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this kind of makes me double down on the take that he was being humble and recognizing Sam's utter devotion to Frodo then. And here he's 
sensitive to what Sam is feeling. He recognizes Sam's concern, even with Sam not saying anything. Though the drawn sword Maybe. probably I says mean, a lot. <laughs> I, I wouldn't assume that sarcasm is a, is a mark of, you know, a lack of respect or anything like no, that. I no, mean, You know. I just think he really has Strider has a very dry sense of humor when he has a sense of humor. Most so. people don't get his sense of humor. That right. is true. <laughs> no, it could be. It could be. I mean, he's definitely genuine here and he's definitely yeah. absolutely sincere in his- Totally understand you know, Sam's concern. Yes, gets it. absolutely. What about, I mean, and Sam, I mean, it, it's interesting because I actually had this thought while I was reading, you know, Sam's doubts, you know, is that, is his distrust mm. totally reasonable at this point? After everything that's just really. happened. I think it Rationally is. Rationally yeah. speaking, yes. Yeah. Why not believe for a moment that Strider led you into an ambush? Yeah, an they have trusted him this far and suddenly this has happened. Right. Sure, yeah. I, I would think that for a split second mm-hmm. too. And yeah. and I think you're right. I think Strider does know that here and I think he is kind of speaking to that. Like, look, I know how it looks, but yeah, you, you have to trust me. I, I did not lead you into this. No, Absolutely. And I like the gentility of his statement. I like the way he says it gently. I think mm-hmm. that really speaks volumes about his his kindness. About yeah. His heart. yeah, he's not. He, he yeah, he doesn't take offense to the idea. No. You know, he, it's not, not. I'm not a black writer, Sam. He said defensively. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not, how, is, how dare you think that? It's right. just look. I get it. Okay, but I'm not. You know, and, right. and I understand why you feel this way, but I'm not. Absolutely. Well, going back to the beginning of the segment, I think the first thing we notice is just how much time has passed by the description of this fire. This fire is piled high and burning brightly. Mm-hmm. So we already know that a significant amount of time has passed uh, yeah. before he's woken up. Yeah. But then his comment, where is the pale king? The pale yeah. king. And, and, yeah. And these guys didn't see a pale king. I no, mean, they saw they didn't see anything. They saw shadowy shapes. They saw something vague and dark. They didn't see this clear no. image of the witch king like Frodo did. With the crown and the two swords mm-hmm. and, the, and the glowing, yeah. Right. That's another one of those moments where it's hard to get the Jackson film version out of your head, isn't it? It kind of is, yeah. That's yeah. true. It's unfortunate. He does scary stuff so well, and that is a scene he that does. really does kind of kind of stand out. But you're right. I do. It's, <laughs> it's hard to envision that any other way other than this yeah. reaching hand going for the ring and the— yeah. And, and the jab with the with the Morgul blade. So and not yeah, that that's a you know that not no, that that's, it's not a terrible thing. It's it's one of the better scenes from the movie. I thought and that's the, true. And probably the best movie. But uh, well, but yeah, yeah, I know it's like it's one of those things like you kind of you can't get back that image you had in your head the first time you read the book. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of the books, I can do that. I can overcome mm-hmm. the visual memory of the film, but mm-hmm. not on that one. That's that's one I can't. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about the fact that Frodo is sort of in this shadow world with the wraiths. I'm, yes, I'm thinking of how yes. Frodo's voice seemed to Sam to come from a great distance or from under mm-hmm. the earth. Almost like it did of, when he was in. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you're going where going I'm going, the aren't place, you? The, the barrow, the barrow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the barrow white. <laughs> and the barrow white's voice seemed to come out of the ground. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just re- reminded that, you know, in early versions of the story, Tolkien kind of was linking the Barrow Whites to the ring rates a lot more than he oh, yeah. ended up doing. Yeah. And it is that sort of otherworldly, other dimension mm-hmm. sort of yeah. concept. Yeah. Yeah. That dimension of death or shadow, some sort of mm-hmm. underworld. Yeah. Yeah. That unseen world that Tolkien calls it. And I think it's also interesting that they find him by stumbling over him, lying as if dead face downwards on the grass. Didn't, isn't that the, how they found Bilbo at the end of the Battle of the Five Armies? Didn't somebody stumble over him? Was it? I, I'm trying to there, remember. Was it? It was actually. It was in Mirkwood, wasn't it? Oh, it was that's in the Mirkwood right. Clearing. 
That's right. Yeah. But you're exactly He came right. too after yeah. the Battle of Five Armies. That's right. Because, yeah, he heard somebody calling him. That's what it was. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's, in, uh, it's in Mirkwood. Yeah. But I thought that was an interesting little parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. So now why have they not resumed their attack? I think this is probably as good a point as any to bring in the Marquette manuscript we talked about. Uh, yeah, in the let's last do that. Chapter, huh? Yeah. So you, you might remember this was the, the manuscript that was used to put together Hunt for the Ring and Unfinished Tales. It is at Marquette in their archives, and Hamden Skull referenced it, and we're going to go ahead and pull some of the details from that. In that manuscript, Tolkien explained a number of reasons why the Ringwraiths didn't continue the attack that night. First, the Witch King thinks the Ringbearer cannot last more than a day or two now that he's been stabbed with the Morgulblade. Mm-hmm. Second, quote, the great captain was actually dismayed and began to perceive that the mission on which Sauron had sent him was one of great peril. And then third, he withdrew out of doubt and fear, both of Aragorn and especially of Frodo, whom he now knew to be in league with the High Elves, thanks to his calling mm-hmm. upon Elbereth. So three reasons, good ones too. Yeah, and Strider kind of hints at one of those when he talks about how they think that their purpose is almost accomplished. Your master has a deadly yeah. wound that will subdue him to their will, but he doesn't quite spell it all out. So that's, uh, that's helpful. Yeah. Well, so we're not going to actually read Strider's explanation, but there's some some interesting things here. He tells them that uh, there seem to have only been five. We don't know why all nine weren't here, but they certainly didn't expect to be, you know, resisted. Resisted, yeah. Yeah, and that's big. But the wound is pretty serious. Yeah, and Sam has quite a reaction to that, doesn't he? Oh, he absolutely does. Choked with tears. Yeah, I mean, because, of course, you know, he doesn't want to think of that happening to his master. But I no. love Strider's immediate response. You know, he says, yeah. don't despair. Mm. You must trust me now. And Frodo is made of sterner stuff than I had guessed. Don't despair. The, I love the man that. named Hope says don't despair. Exactly. I and I love that because remember that Estelle, which is his name, yeah. Estelle is hope with a basis in something. And in this case, right. Strider's hope is, it's not blind hope. It's not, no. you know, I hope Cross I win the lottery. Hope. Right. right. It's, this is hope based on the fact that he, there may be something yeah. he can do here. He may be able to heal him. That's right. And the fact that Frodo is, is made of stronger than, tougher. than the, yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then a reminder that Gandalf suggested it might be that way. <laughs> Gandalf. Of course, Gandalf knew. Yeah. Gandalf knew everything. <laughs> so Strider takes off again. Uh, doesn't really exactly tell him why, but I think at this point, hopefully Sam is trusting him a little bit more. And then that's when I'm going to go ahead and pick up. Okay. Frodo dozed, though the pain of his wound was slowly growing, and a deadly chill was spreading from his shoulder to his arm and side. His friends watched over him, warming him and bathing his wound. The night passed slowly and wearily. Dawn was growing in the sky, and the dell was filling with gray light when Strider at last returned. Look, he cried, and stooping he lifted from the ground a black cloak that had lain there hidden by the darkness. A foot above the lower hem there was a slash. This was the stroke of Frodo's sword, he said. The only hurt that it did to his enemy, I fear, for it is unharmed. But all blades perish that pierce that dreadful king. More deadly to him was the name of Elbereth. And more deadly to Frodo was this. He stooped again and lifted up a long, thin knife. There was a cold gleam in it. As Strider raised it, they saw that near the end, its edge was notched and the point was broken off. But even as he held it up in the growing light, they gazed in astonishment, for the blade seemed to melt and vanish like a smoke in the air, leaving only the hilt in Strider's hand. Alas, he cried, it was this accursed knife that gave the wound. 
Few now have the skill in healing to match such evil weapons, but I will do what I can. So Strider didn't realize that it was no. a Morgul blade until that moment. No. I mean, I know we keep using that word. Is is that phrase actually in the books? I don't think it is. Is that a movie phrase? I don't it's know. It's an easy now. way to distinguish it, though, from a normal knife. Yeah, I know. I probably, should, I probably should look that up before I start using that word. I don't word, think but... it is. I think I looked it up and I didn't find Did it. But um, <laughs> oh, I just Jackson. know it's one of those shortcut ways of referring to a blade that... I think Morgul knife might be in there, right? Morgul knife, I think, is. You're right. But yes, there is Morgul knife. Okay. All right, I am somewhat redeemed. There is Morgul knife in book two. <laughs> yes, they tried to pierce your heart with a Morgul knife, yes. which remains in the wound that uh, we hear yes. about in many meetings. Okay, I don't feel too bad now. Just but, not Morgul uh, blade. Yeah. Just not Morgul blade and not Morgul arrow. Oh, goodness, no. There are no such things. <laughs> oh, Remember do not bring one? such travesty into this conversation, <laughs> Sean. I curse thee. <laughs> yep. yep, that's what I'm good oh, for. Oh, goodness, goodness. Speaking you had to do Speaking the that. unspeakable. Yeah, uh, I am ashamed. <laughs> so <laughs> Strider comes yes. back, finds that black cloak. Man, what a, what a moment that is, the all blades perish thing, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and again, that sort of presages the fate of, of Mary's barrow blade later on, right? Not Absolutely. to jump too far ahead, but I guess I will. Well, yeah, that is jumping pretty far ahead, but yes. But uh, yeah, all blades perish that pierce that dreadful king. And that sort of underscores the fact that Frodo must have completely missed him and just got yeah. the cloak, right? Because yeah, otherwise the blade would have been gone. His knife would have not existed anymore. Yeah. Well, and it would have that, been down and, the hill, right? And Frodo actually had a barrow blade at that point, though, didn't he? Yes, he did. That's, he that's why he missed. Because if he yeah. had hit him, remember we talked he, about this. Yeah, exactly. He would have, wow, what if he had hit him? He would have undone the sinews at that point. He right. would have broken the spell at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They would have been eight riders at that point. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nice. But That might have been easier for the Witch King of Angmar than to go back and deal with the HR department in Barad-dur. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> he didn't. He was not received well by the boss when he... No, yeah, no, he wasn't. He, he did back. not get a bonus this year. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, all he usually does is give like a turkey at Christmas, but, you know, now he's not going to get that. It's like an orc turkey. It's like an it's like Ooh. an orc turkey. Oh. Is that like a tofurkey? It's way worse, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure that it is. Is there anything no. worse than a tofurkey? I'm not sure. Uh, there all are right. things worse, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, in there Mordor. are. That's true. <laughs> In Mordor. But, <laughs> Not anyplace else. In the land of Mordor where the orc turkeys lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love so, digressions. So Frodo completely misses the Witch King, obviously. Yeah. Good job, Frodo. Good, Good job. Yeah. Well, come on. <laughs> I know, He's I'm having a rough it. night, man. He is. But he He's... had the presence of mind to call upon Elbereth. Yes. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. A spiritual parry was was a phrase one of our listeners used a couple of episodes ago. I love ago, that and phrase. I, I really that like great. that. I kind of think of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that drove the Witch King back. Awesome stuff. Absolutely. And so then he finds the knife itself with the broken point. But that I wanted to talk about real briefly. For those who haven't read Beowulf, uh, there's just a reminder here that the sword that the hero uses to kill Grendel's mother and cut off Grendel's head ends up melting away. Mm-hmm. Depending on the translation you read, there's going to be something about the blood being hot and the fiend being poisonous. So one mm -hmm. would be forgiven for wondering about this connection. Well, Hammond and Skull have an answer for us in a letter provided to them by Christopher Tolkien. This is a letter that isn't in uh, Carpenter's Letters volume. Okay. So in 1963, Tolkien wrote, The melting of the sword blade has a dramatic quality, which is attractive to a storyteller and makes it linger in the memory. Mm -hmm. But the dramatic effect 
is the only real connection between the melting of the Witch King's knife and the withering of Mariatic's sword from the burial mound and the Anglo-Saxon poem. But that remains a fact of my personal biography, of which I was certainly not consciously aware when writing, and in no way enhances or explains the incidents in their places. Fair enough. If so you it's, say so, yeah. It's a cool, dramatic thing. Yeah. It certainly shows that this is this is powerful magic at work here. Oh, yes. Yeah. But nothing more than that. It's not, there, there's nothing that explains. This isn't symbolic of Beowulf. Right. Which is what he would tell us about pretty much any connection. Pretty much everything. That is true. <laughs> I mean, he's acknowledging that, hey, that was such a dramatic moment that it stuck in my head. Right. And that drama is the only connection. Mm-hmm. Right. That visual power. Yeah. And it's true that, you know, Tolkien would say, oh, there's no connection about any of the bones that go into the soup. But obviously, <laughs> some, some bones are more significant than others. You know, you look at something like, you know, Atlantis or Atalante or something like well, that. Yeah, you know, that yeah. That's that's significant. But this is mm-hmm. probably just that. It's probably just mm-hmm. not entirely coincidental, but it's just a... No. I think he said, I, you know, this was something that sticks in my memory. Yeah, exactly. It's but just, it's the, uh, only the dramatic effect, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff, though. That's a good call out. I love some of those little extra nuggets that Hammond and Skull are able to provide, mm-hmm. the things that are not in other published volumes. It's so neat to, yeah. to be able to find those resources. Oh, there's so much great stuff in, in their work, yeah. Yeah. So Aragorn has some some skill in healing, right? He, he says this Apparently is going to so. need, this is require rare skill in healing. Few now have the skill, but he's going right. to do he what he can. He has medic plus three, but we're going to see if he has enough to, you he's, know. He's got a little cleric spell that he can cook up here. Yeah, yeah he's, yeah. you know, he's got the, you know. Where, where, Staunch where wounds we go? He's, or he's something. Singing o- <laughs> right. He's got like some paladin healing or something like that. He's not right, a full right. cleric, I guess. But yeah, you know, no. singing over the hilt, speaking softly to Frodo. He's He's got a little juice here. Yeah. Well, you know he's not a cleric because he's using a bladed weapon, right? That's true. <laughs> It'd be one That's thing true. if he pulled out the shards of Narsal and, and it was like a mace, right? Just used it as a mace. Hmm, hmm, he just melted it a... down and made a club out of it. <laughs> Uh, I do love that part of the healing, though, is is speaking in that soft tone. Mm-hmm. You wonder, really, what were the words that he spoke and in what language? Uh, kind of want to hear that. Do we have some tape on that? Can we roll that? No? Okay. It's <laughs> no, worth we shot. do not. Nice try, though. <laughs> Doesn't I hurt to ask. To make something up. No, I would have made something up if I'd known. <laughs> Please don't. I, I kid. No, of course not. <laughs> I know. He does tell us a little bit about the plant, though. He tells us that it's brought by the Numenorians to Middle-earth. And then it grows sparsely and only near the, the places that the Numenorians used to be. So that was interesting. Yeah. And then he gives the name. Athalos. Yes. Athalos. Athalos that grows now sparsely and only near places where they dwelt or camped of old. Right. And has a sweet and pungent scent. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. Good, good. Because that, that kind of threw me a little bit. Pungent and sweet aren't two descriptors that I usually put next to each other. And And I've got some... Some real world, uh, I don't know, let's say some real world analogs, not exactly the same thing because, okay. you know, Athelos is not meant to be a stand in for any specific real world plant. No, no. But I did get some plant nerdery. I'm going to make that a new thing, by the way. Plant nerdery. Plant nerdery. I like that. To go with that. our word nerdery. Yeah. Okay. So, and I get this from Flora of Middle Earth. And by the way, all of my botanical information that I bring up on this show comes from Flora of Middle Earth, which is a super cool book. That Fantastic I just, resource. I like having an excuse to flip through it. I, I say that because some listeners have actually written to me to either question things I've said or ask for more information. And the truth is, folks, uh, I don't really know anything about plants. I mean, well, no, 
I like them. We have a lot of knowledge, but botany is not among them. Botany is not anything I know anything about. So I I like plants. I think they're pretty to look at, but I don't know anything. <laughs> I get everything from Flora of Middle Earth by Walter Judd and Graham Judd. And so yeah. if you hear me say something cool, credit to them. If you hear me say something wrong, it's probably because I don't have the knowledge to convey it correctly. So there you go. <laughs> anyway. That might be. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But yeah, as I said, Athelos is not meant to be any one specific real world plant. In fact, I think the fact that it was brought to Middle Earth by Numenorians should tell us that it's something kind of otherworldly. You know, it's just one other thing that comes from the West, comes from fairy right, or right. near fairy. Yeah. Comes from Numenor, and it's just one thing that probably just doesn't exist anymore in our world. Mm -hmm. But the authors of Flora of Middle Earth do their best to identify some of the real world inspirations. And what they've concluded, based on the description, is that most likely the primary inspiration for Athelas, and I'm going to quote here, was the medicinal herb comfrey. Hmm. But he may have added elements of other plants, such as the persistently green leaves of wintergreen and the sweet Mm. fragrance of basil or some other mint. So if you're trying to figure out what the sweet and pungent scent is, probably something a little bit minty, maybe that probably gets us pretty close that, you know, something like wintergreen or basil. But then comfrey, I don't know that I've ever actually smelled this herb before. Yeah, I've never smelled it. From what I could find online, it is kind of bitter. Some people think it's kind of stinky. So probably a little, that's probably where you get that sweet and pungent. It's probably a, a sweet and minty, but kind of a medicinal scent. Well, even basil alone. I've always found that more pungent than sweet. Maybe that alone would do it, but I don't I don't know. Well, and it's interesting you say that because one interesting comment that the Judds had to say about basil, which is something that I knew, mm-hmm. but they brought it up again and that reminded me, the name basil or basil, however you choose to say it, actually <laughs> comes from the Greek word basilikon, which means oh, kingly yeah. or royal. Uh-huh. And what's the Westron name for Athelas? Anyone? Uh, yes, Anyone? yes. King's foil? Yes. So, yeah, excellent. I mean, it could be that he's partly thinking of Basil uh, with, yeah, this kingly, with this kingly name. That's interesting, an interesting connection. Yeah. Isn't it, though? I know. And again, it's, yeah. not, it's not that herb exactly, but it, it could well, be a, no. a mix of a few of these things. So, yeah, just a little bit of word nerdery about the elvish names of the plant. So we know it's called Kingsfoil in Westron. Right. The Quenya name of it is Asia Aranian, which huh. actually means Asia of the Kings. So the Quenya oh, name also refers to kings. The kings, right. Yeah, and I got that from uh, from issue 17 of Parma El de Lambaron, which has a lot of the Like we said, if you're only going to have one issue of Parma El de Lambaron, that's the one to get, have, yeah. Apparently. Yep. So, yeah, so Asia of the Kings, and you're probably thinking, well, okay, well, what's Asia? Well, right, Asia right. Is, uh, is an old Elvish word meaning uh, ease or comfort or healing. Healing of the king, okay. And that becomes Athai in Sindarin, ah, which when that combines with Las, which means leaf, as in Legolas, right. Athe Las, the, the healing, healing leaf. Healing leaf. Yep. Very cool. I like yeah. that a lot. That's neat. So, yeah, a lot of names that relate to healing and that relate to kingship, which is just yeah. absolutely fascinating because, you know. Oh, yeah. What, what's we'll the, what's the line from Return of the King? The hands of the king. The hands of a healer. Can't wait to get to that. Yeah. We'll have to wait quite some time. It will be a few years. In the meantime, we don't have to wait anymore to hear you talk. We're going to have you read the next little bit. Oh, I've talked enough. Let's get somebody else to read this next passage. No, I'll do it. <laughs> He threw the leaves into boiling water and bathed Frodo's shoulder. The fragrance of the steam was refreshing, and those that were unhurt felt their minds calmed and cleared. The herb had also some power over the wound, for Frodo felt the pain and also the sense of frozen cold lessen in his side. 
but the life did not return to his arm, and he could not raise or use his hand. He bitterly regretted his foolishness and reproached himself for weakness of will, for he now perceived that in putting on the ring he obeyed not his own desire, but the commanding wish of his enemies. Mm -hmm. He wondered if he would remain maimed for life and how they would now manage to continue their journey. He felt too weak to stand. The others were discussing this very question. They quickly decided to leave Weathertop as soon as possible. I think now, said Strider, that the enemy has been watching this place for some days. If Gandalf ever came here, then he must have been forced to ride away, and he will not return. In any case, we are in great peril here after dark, since the attack of last night, and we can hardly meet greater danger wherever we go. That's a valid point. But it kind of reminds me of the uh, of the moment in The Hobbit when they were going to the fire of the trolls. They didn't know it was the trolls yet. And they were basically like, well, it can't get any worse than it is now. And then it got worse. Really, it really got, worse. Yeah, right. And you're thinking, well, I'm sure it Strider's always right. Get worse. You know, you could turn around and there could be all nine of them there. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you could meet greater it danger. Can always, it can always get worse. Never say it can't get any worse. Right. Never say it's a piece of cake either for that matter. No, that's true. He's right, though, of course. It's not likely to get any more dangerous than having five Nazgul surround you at dark. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So the refreshing fragrance, and it clears minds and calms them. I liked that. I love that. Even those that, that yeah. weren't hurt. What a wonderful yeah. thought. I really like that. It's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you get the sense, again, that this, just this very fresh-smelling steam. Mm -hmm. It's like this really nice aromatherapy. Opens and, up uh, the passages and, and just mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, yeah, I like it. And it's a pain reliever, you know, it's, it's a yeah. nice anti-inflammatory for Frodo, well, but yeah, exactly. it's not, you Third know, age it's Advil not a, for you right here. <laughs> right. But it's not like an instant magical healing herb, you know, it just no, sort of no. soothes and helps the body's natural healing processes, which yeah. makes sense. And I like that it lessened that sense of frozen cold, but he still mm. couldn't use his, his arm. He still couldn't mm -hmm. use his hand. Yeah. And he realized this was, you know, this is dangerous and he may be suffering this for the rest of his life. And. Yeah. That I thought was really foreboding. He's mad at himself. He feels very, very foolish. Oh, Bitterly yeah. regretted his foolishness. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm thinking about that being maimed for life because in a way he is. You know, this is something. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is one of those three things that will always come back mm -hmm. to haunt him. Even mm -hmm. at the end of the story, it's this date, the date that he's stung by Shelob. Mm -hmm. And the date of the destruction the of the ring. The, the ring is destroyed, right. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the long-term traumas that he'll he'll take away from this experience. Yeah. Absolutely. When I read that, I, I don't know that I've ever caught that before, but the idea about how he wondered if he'd remain maimed for life, and I thought, wow, mm -hmm. he really he really did in a way, until he made it all the way to, to Oman. But that's, that's a story for another day. Yes. <laughs> a few years from so, now. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like he's being, I mean, he's, in regards to his foolishness, his perception of his own foolishness, mm -hmm. I mean, certainly it was a mistake. It was a bad mistake. But, I mean, would any of us have done better in his place? That's the you thing. Know? Exactly. How how could you have fought that any more, right. any more strongly? Right. Yeah. And as you say, he, you know, this will maim him for the rest of his life. So he's going to be punished for that. I, I don't know. I just, I, I hate to see him be so hard on himself, I guess. Yeah. I thought the I same thing. This. Bitterly regretted, reproached himself. Weakness of will. Dude, you're standing off against the Witch King, right. and you had the courage to try to stab him in the foot and call out the name of yeah. Elbereth. I don't yeah, think exactly. that's weakness of will. Not at all. No, you did no. what you could, man. Take some, yeah. you know, take some comfort in that. Take a little credit. Credit where credit's due. I mean, mm -hmm. no, you, you couldn't fight that temptation, and you certainly wish you had. And it's fine, I think, to regret that. But who among us would not have succumbed to right. that same temptation? Right. Yeah. 
I agree. He was a little hard on himself there. Yeah. So the journey continues. Strider's got a little bit of hindsight analysis here, a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking for those of us who <laughs> follow the American that, sport yeah. football. <laughs> yep. Where he was, hmm, you know, I think they've been watching this place. So he realizes Gandalf's not coming back and you know, we're going to have to try to find him. Yep. And then, of course, they realize they have to put Frodo on the pony. So after they eat, they, they pack and they, they share the baggage so that Frodo can get on the pony and they head south to cross the road. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge the line that Bill Fernie's treatment must have been very hard for the journey in the wild to seem so much better <laughs> yes. than the pony's former life? Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love that because we know what kind of person Bill Fernie is, but oh, yeah. even the pony knows what kind of person Bill Fernie was. <laughs> He's You're like, right. I'm out here alone in the wilderness. I got a dying hobbit on my back. He's probably going to turn into a wraith, but hey, yeah, at least I'm not at Fernie's house. Right, exactly. Anyway. Uh, for him, it couldn't get any worse. He's the one guy who could say, yeah, it can't get any worse. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, well, as soon as they hit the road, that's where I'm going to go ahead and pick up. They made their way slowly and cautiously around the southwestern slopes of the hill and came in a little while to the edge of the road. There was no sign of the riders. But even as they were hurrying across, they heard far away two cries a cold voice calling, and a cold voice answering. Trembling, they sprang forward and made for the thickets that lay ahead. The land before them sloped away southwards, but it was wild and pathless. Bushes and stunted trees grew in dense patches, with wide barren spaces in between. The grass was scanty, coarse, and gray, and the leaves in the thickets were faded and falling. It was a cheerless land, and their journey was slow and gloomy. They spoke little as they trudged along. Frodo's heart was grieved as he watched them walking beside him with their heads down and their backs bowed under their burdens. Even Strider seemed tired and heavy-hearted. Before the first day's march was over, Frodo's pain began to grow again, but he did not speak of it for a long time. Four days passed without the ground or the scene changing much except that behind them Weathertop slowly sank, and before them the distant mountains loomed a little nearer. Yet since that far cry, they had seen and heard no sign that the enemy had marked their flight or followed them. They dreaded the dark hours and kept watch in pairs by night, expecting at any time to see black shapes stalking in the gray night, dimly lit by the cloud-veiled moon. But they saw nothing and heard no sound but the sigh of withered leaves and grass. Not once did they feel the sense of present evil that had assailed them before the attack in the dell. It seemed too much to hope that the riders had already lost their trail again. Perhaps they were waiting to make some ambush in a narrow place? Perhaps. I mean, really? I mean... Foreboding much? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, for not feeling the sense of present evil that they had felt before they were assailed, Mm -hmm. this is about as scary as it gets, really. Future evil right there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, those cold voices, though, as they're crossing the road, that must have been just put a chill in their their backs, Mm, right? Yeah. I'm thinking back to, you know, a few chapters ago, you know, when they heard the... The voice in the calling. Shire still, right? Yeah, and Frodo, Frodo's uh, line: "There were words in that cry, though I could not catch them." You know, yeah. This Ooh. just creepy feeling that you hear this inhuman sound that you know absolutely has meaning to it. You know, is uh-huh. a, a sentence. It's a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's creepy stuff. That really is. 
And the land itself is foreboding, isn't it? Right? It is. Four days into this just cheerless land, this slow and gloomy journey. This is depressing stuff here. Yeah. The grass is scanty and coarse and gray. What, What were the leaves? Faded. Withered leaves and grass we get later on. Really unpleasant. Really cool bit of alliteration I noticed when you read it. Backs bowed uh-huh. under their burdens. Yeah, I thought the same thing. That you kind of get this repetitive, rhythmic, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. trudging and along kind of feel. Strider seemed and heavy hearted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a little bit there too. Mm-hmm. But of course, Strider seeming overburdened. That, you know, Frodo's sitting there feeling very sad seeing his friends walking that way. But even mm-hmm. Strider walking that way, that's that's got to be a little discouraging. I think Frodo feels guilty. I mean, he knows that he made a mistake and he knows that his friends now have to pick up the slack caused by that. Yeah. They have to carry all that extra gear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to get used to that before it's all said and Mm -hmm. done, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He is going to need to rely a lot on the people around Mm -hmm. him. Yes, he will. uh, And I think that's why even when the pain increases, he doesn't say anything about it. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got so much of that strength. You know, we're going to see that at the end of this chapter. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Frodo's strength even oh, with this, in a huge this way. horrific wound that he's got. And, and I can't wait to get too. to that because you know that's one of my favorite moments in the whole I book. I do know. Right? I know. I know. <laughs> I, I know that's not for a couple more episodes, but boy. Oh, yeah. It's, that such, was a, a moment. it's such a great moment. And yeah, mm-hmm. Frodo's strength in that moment is just powerful stuff. And it's such a wonderful, dramatic way to end the book. It really is. I agree. But here, long before we end the book, we have four days to go, just like the ones before. Pairs keeping watch at night. Uh, but that foreshadowing, mm-hmm. boy, the writers are waiting to ambush them. Yeah. So then before you pick up, we're going to skip the next paragraph. We get day five. The ground sort of rises slowly out of this valley. They turn a little bit to the northeast. And then they get to the top of a long slope, and they're apparently near the Horwell. And that's where you're going to go ahead and pick up. Okay. I'm afraid we must go back to the road here for a while, said Strider. We have now come to the river Horwell, that the elves call Mythethel. It flows down out of the Ettenmoors, the Trollfells north of Rivendell, and joins the Loudwater away in the south. Some call it the Grey Flood after that. It is a great water before it finds the sea. There is no way over it below its sources in the Ettenmoors, except by the last bridge on which the road crosses. What is that other river we can see far away there? asked Mary. That is Loudwater. The Bruinen of Rivendell, answered Strider. The road runs along the edge of the hills for many miles from the bridge to the ford of Bruinen, but I have not yet thought how we shall cross that water, one river at a time. We shall be fortunate indeed if we do not find the last bridge held against us. Hmm. Again, foreboding. I know, I thought the same thing. It's not getting much better. No, it isn't. Uh, just a quick note in the nomenclature, Tolkien says that Mithethel uh, is pale gray, Mm-hmm. Plus spring or source. That's uh, that's what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, it gives a little geography lesson on it, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I want to do a, a little word nerdery bit on Ettenmoors. I know we've mm-hmm. talked about this yeah. once back in episode 58 in the Philology Fair segment. That sounds right. Um, somewhere back when the, when we first when saw, like, the dwarves I think were the, getting the to the stone area. giants or the trolls, somewhere back in there. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 But Ettenmoors is just... Etten, which is an Old English mm-hmm. word for giant or troll, or it's, it's Tolkien's right. sort of respelling of it. Uh, Old English word meaning giant or troll plus moor, which is a tract of uncultivated land or a heath. And Tolkien spells that out in the nomenclature for us. But in this philology fair segment we did 
way back in season two, uh, we brought in a little something cool from Ring of Words, and I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of resummarize that here. All right, so Ring of Words tells us, in Old English, there were at least two inherited terms meaning giant, Eoten and Ent. Now, the first of those two is cognate with the Norse word Jotun, which many people may know from Jotunheim, oh, mm-hmm. the name of the home of the giants in Norse mythology. And of course, right. that's the, the one Tolkien is adapting here. Eoten becomes Etten. Right. And of course, the other word for giant, Ent, is a word that we're all very familiar with. Very. One other thing about this from Ring of Words, which is really interesting. In the drafts of the first two books of The Lord of the Rings, this region, the Ettenmoors, where they are, is right. called the Entish Dales or Entish Lands. Uh-huh. Because at this stage, early on of Tolkien's conception, Ent and Etten are interchangeable, both with a bad yeah, sense. That's right. I remember that. Tolkien hadn't quite made the distinction between the Ents, you know, the good giants. Right. And the Ettens or the, you know, the bad giants, the stone giants and the trolls and all of those related creatures. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. I remember that vaguely, but that's a cool point to remind us of that. Yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about the mention of the Grey Flood. Uh, the Cinderin name for Grey Flood is Gwathlo, and Gwath mm-hmm. means shadow. It means specifically shadow in the sense of dim light owing to cloud or mist. Now, Tolkien goes on to explain that this didn't make sense with the geography because the lands near the Grey Flood are mostly open, flat plains. They're so flat that the mm-hmm. waters never become swift, and boats could actually go up the river all the way to Tharbad, you know, by the where the fords are there. Right. So, of course, Tolkien came up with a reason why this ill-fitting name could be given to the Grey Flood. I love this about the way he works. So he says that when the Numenorians first discovered it and went up it by boat, quote, the huge trees cast great shadows on the river, under which the boats of the adventurers crept silently up into the unknown land. So the first name they gave to it was River of Shadow. That ends up getting us to Gwathlo. <laughs> Tolkien goes on to say, though, that the Numenorians then denuded much of the area, and so by the Third Age, the area was mainly grassland. That's awesome. So he explains everything, doesn't he? Yeah, just about, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, except Tom, but that's a whole other right. story. <laughs> Only a philologist would come up with that explanation. That's great, yeah, though. because that is but, brilliant. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you look at place names all over the world, there are all kinds of stories like that. You know, how yeah. why Iceland is called Iceland. You know, it's because the first- And Greenland is Greenland when Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, why Why Florida is Florida, I'm sure is probably a similar True. name. You know, some explorer landed there and saw lots of flowers, you know. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff is all over uh, the history of place names. And, of course, Tolkien picks up on that and, and plays it's with it. It's a great way great. to explain why a name that doesn't seem to fit. Doesn't seem to fits. fit, right. Yeah. Yeah, it fit originally. It fit at one point. And right. I, I love that. What a great yep. way of explaining that. And like you said, only a philologist. <laughs> awesome stuff. And you've got a little bit here uh, about the Loudwater and the distance between them, because it does seem a little odd that he can see it from there, huh? Yeah, yeah. And Christopher Tolkien actually acknowledges a little bit of a problem with this in Return of the Shadow. He points out that based on the published map, the the two rivers would have had to have been close to 100 miles apart. Now, that means that this hill would have to be a tall mountain for the Loudwater to be visible from where they're from where they're standing now. Uh, he actually he talks about some of his father's working maps and says that the distance had actually changed from forty five miles to sixty, and then sixty two miles before landing on about seventy five miles. Wow. He ends up saying, "Thus, the objection that the Loudwater was too far away to be seen is real." <laughs> Because even at 75 miles, <laughs> that's a long, long way away to be seen. You have to be on a very tall Yes, mountain. absolutely. Not just a small hill. <laughs> but unfortunately, there's just not really, no. really no answer for this one. Just a little inconsistency that made it into the finished book. 
And, well, uh, I think it has more to do with the maps because we're going to find some of that later too. It seems like sometimes the descriptions, especially in the transition from first to second edition, they were changed in a way maps, that fit yeah. the map because it was easier to change mm. the text than the map. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Well, now we're going to go ahead and pick up right after that. I, I'm not going to read this next paragraph, but this is where we come across the road and Strider decides, hey, it looks like it rained here about two days ago and nobody's been by since, so that's good. And that's where we're going to go ahead and start. They hurried along with all the speed they could make, and after a mile or two, they saw the last bridge ahead, at the bottom of a short, steep slope. They dreaded to see black figures waiting there, but they saw none. Strider made them take cover in a thicket at the side of the road, while he went forward to explore. Before long, he came hurrying back. I can see no sign of the enemy, he said, and I wonder very much what that means, but I have found something very strange. He held out his hand and showed a single pale green jewel. I found it in the mud in the middle of the bridge, he said. It is a barrel, an elf stone. Whether it was set there or let fall by chance, I cannot say. But it brings hope to me. I will take it as a sign that we may pass the bridge. But beyond that, I dare not keep to the road without some clearer token. Indeed. And sure enough, no horses passed by since. That's a good, that's a basic ranger skills right there. Yeah, a little, uh, little tracking skill there. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, here's another little bit of a problem that resulted mm -hmm. from Tolkien trying to fit the journeys of Bilbo and the dwarves and the Hobbit with the journey of the Hobbits with Strider here in Lord of the Rings along what's ah, supposed to yeah. be the same road. Right. Hammond and Skull point out that in the first two editions of the Hobbit, Bilbo and the dwarves travel along a river and camp at night. And they see the fire of the trolls not too far off. They reach it that night, but they do not cross a bridge to do this. That's right. But in this story, as we'll see, there is a bridge. And once mm -hmm. they cross it, they head into the hills and then six days later come upon mm -hmm. the old trolls. The current version of The Hobbit does have the bridge. During the rainstorm that they're, that they're walking in, uh, and here's the quote, the road went over an ancient stone bridge. So there it is. They just plopped it in there. But he didn't get around to fixing the issue of distance because Bilbo and the dwarves encountered the trolls the night that they crossed the bridge, mm -hmm. while Strider manages to get them lost for six days before finding the same spot. <laughs> they must have been very lost indeed. Very lost, yes. Well, we first we went north, and then we kind of went west, and then we went north again, and then we went east, and then we went south. And, and then yeah. we kind of looped around in a sort of a circular fashion, and then we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. But yeah, they're they're definitely anticipating this ambush, aren't they? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen right now, but... Strider very but wise. But he knows it's coming. Bottleneck. He's wise enough oh, yeah. to know it's coming. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he hides him in that thicket. Mm -hmm. And then this elf stone he finds. I yeah. love this. Is I set do too. there one or let moments. fall by chance. It brings hope to me. Yeah. And of course, you know, we'll find out a week later. Well, a week later for them. In, in real time. Two weeks later for us. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Two weeks later for well, us. Well, kind of. We'll, I, it, here's a hint, hint. We'll actually meet Glorfindel at the very end of next episode. We won't know Shh, who he is yet. You're not supposed to say that, but yes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. In about a week, they'll encounter Glorfindel, and, and we'll find out that, that he's the one who left it as a token. That's right. Now, as Strider says, this elf stone is a barrel, which is a pale green gem. I think most people who have read this before probably know that elf stone in Quenya is Elisar. There you go. Which is, of course, the name that Strider plans to take when he becomes king. So this mm -hmm. is a token that's really significant to him. This is something oh, that yeah. his close friends would know is really special to him. Oh, absolutely. I think that's super cool. I also note that 
the name Elfstone in Old English, which is Elfstan, right. uh, that's actually an attested Old English name. There are oh. a few bishops in the 10th century that had that name. So I wow. kind of wonder, you know, I go back to those th- the things Tom Shippey oh, talks about, those asterisk the realities. asterisk realities. Yeah. yeah and I wonder <laughs> oh. if Tolkien's hinting at an asterisk reason why Elfstone would have become a given name among men, you know? I love People that. People naming themselves after the king Elfstone. That's brilliant. That's pretty cool. Do you know anything about gemstones? I know very little. Okay. Beryl is not like a terribly, it's not a terribly precious stone, is it? No, it's not like, you know, diamonds. It's or not a diamond or anything. Right. And that's, that's what I'm thinking is like, uh, it's not, it's not a diamond. It's not a ruby or anything like that. And so I think it's, I think it's interesting that Aragorn is associated with a less precious stone. You a, know, more it's a little ordinary bit more of that, stone. Yeah. It's a little bit I, more You know, I realized though, I said, it's glitter. not like, I think I said, it's not like ruby or sapphire. I have to say though, it is actually, emerald is a green barrel. So okay. emeralds are barrels, but not all barrels are emeralds. Not all barrels that? are emeralds. So some <laughs> barrels are very valuable. Probably some are, I think like aquamarine is Aquamarine is, is another one, right? That's And that's yeah. a pretty, I don't know, it's a less precious one, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think Still there's pretty. a little bit of all that is gold does not glitter there. Oh, I think you're right. Aragorn does not associate himself with diamonds or anything like that. I think that's cool. No, he's not a diva. <laughs> he doesn't have a diamond tiara that he walks around with. No, no, not at all. Well, folks, just a, a quick little reminder that I hope to be helpful because for me, I always find tracking these things a little tricky, but plus or minus a day or so for each leg. It took them a week to get from Bag End to Bree and then a week from Bree to Weathertop and now a week from Weathertop to the last bridge. So it shouldn't surprise you then to figure out that it takes them a week or so to get to the Bruin and from here. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a helpful way to remember the scope of the journey. Uh, and again, yeah. that's give or take a, a, a day or a half day for each leg. Uh, that's not precise, but it's very, very close. And that gives you a good idea of how long it's taken them to get to each of these locations. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? When you're reading. It is. Yeah. Well, especially because in this one, we just had that moment about four days past, mm-hmm. you know, and, and each one was just like the one before. Uh, that's real easy to, to kind of gloss over and not realize just how long this part of the journey has been. Right that it takes them a week to get from Weathertop to the last bridge. Right. Which means, of course, that Frodo's traveling with this wound for a week to get yeah. to here, and then another week before yeah. they get to the Bruinen. Yeah. Wow, that's a long time to be, mm-hmm. to, to have this wound just festering. Yeah, and boy, it gets worse, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they are in this area where we've got these kind of glimpses of ancient walls and things like that, and Frodo actually seems to think, huh, I wonder, I wonder, are we in the same area where Bilbo once was with those trolls? Mm. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Tolkien himself sort of, you know, giving us a little bit of a sneak peek of what might become, uh, yep. what, what might be coming along the road here. Yeah. That's actually where I'm going to have you pick up. Okay. And I'm going to pick up with Frodo speaking. Who lives in this land? He asked. And who built these towers? Is this troll country? No, said Strider. Trolls do not build. No one lives in this land. Men once dwelt here, ages ago, but none remain now. They became an evil people, as legends tell, for they fell under the shadow of Angmar. But all were destroyed in the war that brought the North Kingdom to its end. Mm. But that is now so long ago that the hills have forgotten them, though a shadow still lies on the land. Where did you learn such tales, if all the land is empty and forgetful? asked Peregrine. The birds and beasts do not tell tales of that sort. The heirs of Elendil did not forget all things past, said Strider, and many more things than I can tell are remembered in Rivendell. Have you often been to Rivendell, said Frodo. I have, 
said Strider. I dwelt there once, and still I return when I may. There my heart is. But it is not my fate to sit in peace, even in the fair house of Elrond. Oh my, there's, there's quite a bit here, isn't there? Quite a bit to unpack, yeah. <laughs> well, first we get this terrible judgment on trolls. Trolls do not build. You know, I actually just spoke with a, a union leader from the local trolls organization. <laughs> uh, and in fact, they assure me that trolls build, that this is just outdated information. They make wonderful stonemasons. They do. They build bridges, mostly yep. because they need places to, you know, live. To hide uh, under, yeah. <laughs> exactly, to hide under. Yeah, and, if they, and if they work a really late shift and the sun comes up unexpectedly, you just got more yeah. building material. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, where'd, where'd Ed go? Oh, there he is. Well, that's all right. We'll use we're, up a part of the bridge. We're going to finish the bridge with Bert. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Now, just this last little bit. The heirs of Elendil. Uh, uh, you're a what? You're an heir of who now? <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that is, you know, we know he's talking about yeah. himself. And it's it seems pretty clear that he's talking about himself. But I, I would not be it's it's just subtle enough. I would not be surprised yeah. if Pippin's response would have been something like, oh, the heirs of Elendil. OK, who are they? Did they tell you the story? You know, like. Right. They must have told you when you were in Rivendell. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, he doesn't quite say that uh, yeah, that he's one of them. No, you're right. It's subtle, but he's clearly referring to himself, not just because we know that. I think he's right. referring to himself, but I think he is doing it subtly enough that you have to be paying attention. He's Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. You have to be paying attention. And mm -hmm. that's why I think Pippin would probably be the one to miss it, if any yeah. of them. But <laughs> and it is the first that we know. Oh, that's true. It's the first yeah. that we hear about Strider being descended from Elendil if we have not read mm -hmm. the story before. Yeah. And of course, you know, if we know who Elendil is... Well, then we then we know even more. Right. And I love... And then we get that lovely little hint. There my heart is. Oh, I love Ooh. that. Little hint about Arwen, you know? Yeah, it really is. That is absolutely a hint about that's, Arwen. That's where Arwen is. That's where my heart is. But it's not my fate to sit in peace. Even there. Even there, no. I, can't, I can't rest at peace. I got work no. to do. He knows. He knows he's got to keep moving. If he's mm -hmm. ever going to win the permission of Elrond. Yeah. Like we'll read in the appendices about the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. He's not going to, even if Arwen says yes, he wouldn't give Arwen to anybody but the king of the, the United king. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. Yeah. Right. So he knows he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. It's a cool and, and a, a very subtle and a very sad statement, you know? It is. To, yeah. A little bit of sadness. It's not that sad, but, you know, it's, it's not my fate to sit in peace, you know? It, there's it a sure little bit of regret. Nice. A little yeah, bit of regret. It would be nice. It would be nice. Yeah. I just, I, I miss that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a man. I want, I want rest. I want peace. I yeah. crave that. And yet I can't 87 years old not... now. You'd think he's earned yeah. some, but no, yeah. he's still got work to do. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I can tell you, I, you're going to have plenty of work to do for the rest of your life, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind a little peace either, but yeah, it's not my fate to sit in peace. <laughs> nope. Not in this podcast. All right. Well, <laughs> We're going we're gonna to head into some pathless country now, and I'm going to go ahead and pick up right where you left off. Okay. The hills now began to shut them in. The road behind held on its way to the river Bruinen, but both were now hidden from view. The travelers came into a long valley, narrow, deeply cloven, dark, and silent. Trees with old and twisted roots hung over cliffs and piled up behind into mounting slopes of pine wood. The hobbits grew very weary. They advanced slowly, for they had to pick their way through a pathless country, 
encumbered by fallen trees and tumbled rocks. As long as they could, they avoided climbing for Frodo's sake, and because it was in fact difficult to find any way up out of the narrow dales. They had been two days in this country when the weather turned wet. The wind began to blow steadily out of the west and pour the water of the distant seas on the dark heads of the hills in fine drenching rain. By nightfall they were all soaked, and their camp was cheerless, for they could not get any fire to burn. The next day the hills rose still higher and steeper before them, and they were forced to turn away northwards out of their course. Strider seemed to be getting anxious. They were nearly ten days out from Weathertop, and their stock of provisions was beginning to run low. It went on raining. That night they camped on a stony shelf with a rock wall behind them, in which there was a shallow cave, a mere scoop in the cliff. Frodo was restless. The cold and wet had made his wound more painful than ever, and the ache and sense of deadly chill took away all sleep. He lay tossing and turning and listening fearfully to the stealthy night noises, wind in chinks of rock, water dripping, a crack, the sudden rattling fall of a loosened stone. He felt that black shapes were advancing to smother him, but when he sat up, he saw nothing but the back of Strider, sitting hunched up, smoking his pipe and watching. He lay down again and passed into an uneasy dream in which he walked on the grass in his garden in the Shire, but it seemed faint and dim, less clear than the tall black shadows that stood looking over the hedge. Man, I can't wait to talk about about that dream dream in a minute. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we'll get there in a little bit. Just this countryside, I mean, I, I, that whole section I read, there wasn't a word of dialogue. It was, again, more landscape description. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the talk about Frodo and his dream. This is some rough country. Some beautiful prose beautiful. for some very rough country. I mean. Very, yeah. Yeah. These old pine woods and rough, and bad weather. high, steep country. Oh, the rains. Yeah. Yeah. I love that phrase about pouring the water of the distant seas on the, on the dark heads of the hills. <laughs> That's, That's a cool so, image. Yeah. It really is, because that's, of course, that is what rain that is. and literally what it is, yeah. It's so lovely to hear it kind of said that way. Mm-hmm. It you is. Know, that we're, these are the, the, the seas from far away being carried inland and being dumped on these hills, these foothills of the Misty Mountains. Well, yeah, and especially when we know what the West and the sea signify in Tolkien's Legendarium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, these are beautiful images, but... Yeah, yeah, it's dumping on them. It's drenching rain. And it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, this may be coming from the west, but it's not comfortable. Right. On top of the wind, this drenching rain makes them oh. all soaked and cheerless. Yeah, I guess so. I would be rather, relatively cheerless with that kind of yeah, rain and wind. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they're running out of food, you know? Yeah, that's a little nerve wracking. I mean, they might have a little bit left. The clock is really ticking. Yeah. So then we get into Frodo's sleepless night. Mm-hmm. And. Well, sleepless for a while, then he has a really bad dream. Maybe it would have been better to stay sleepless. A waking nightmare and then an actual nightmare. Right, right. I mean, first you're just miserable because you're cold, you're wet, Mm -hmm. you're in pain. And just that pain alone and the deadly chill makes it Mm -hmm. impossible, physically impossible to go to sleep. And then all he can do is hear those sounds. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, And I'm sure every one of those sounds must be louder to him than it really is. You know, it's just amplified. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that that dead of night when you're lying awake, you can't sleep. And mm-hmm. all of your fears and stresses, whether it's, you know, yeah, whether it's 
black riders are chasing after you or whether it's, you know, you forgot to pay your mortgage, all that right. stuff. Like exactly. Just, all that stuff is magnified <laughs> at that time, you know? Boy, isn't and, it um, that dark? What was it in Bab 5? Uh, Ivanova called it the hour oh, of the wolf, yeah. something like that. I think so. Yeah. Something like that. It's like, yeah, it's a miserable time when you wake yeah. up in the middle of the night and nothing, none of your thoughts go right. Yeah. Yeah. And every fear that you have is just like, how am I going to survive this? Yeah. And, you know, in Frodo's case, this is a very significant fear. This isn't just he forgot to pay the bills. This is black shapes advancing. He's a little PTSD mm -hmm. here from his recent experience. And oh, I, absolutely. I, I understand it. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. I found that quote, by the way. Oh, you did? The Ivanova quote? Yeah, the Ivanova quote. She says, have you ever heard of the hour of the wolf? And Lita says, no. And she says, my father told me about it. It's the time between three and four in the morning. That's what I was thinking. You can't sleep, and all you can see is the troubles and the problems and the ways that your life should have gone but didn't. All you can hear <laughs> is the sound of your own heart. Yeah. Man. I can totally see that scene. As you said it, I can I know. see that scene. I totally <laughs> But I couldn't remember exactly the words. Google's our friend sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Just don't go looking Sometimes it does quotes. terrible, terrible things, but yeah. yeah. But then he finally does fall asleep, and you know, I love when we get a chance to do a little dream interpretation on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Frodo has so many great dreams that are just very fun to evocative, very visual. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing that keeps coming back to me as I read this one is walking on the grass in his garden, but it seems faint and dim. And mm -hmm. the tall black shadows are more clear. I mean, yeah. He's losing I feel like he's losing his connection he's already, to home. He's he's becoming yeah. closer to the shadows. This dream and is he's transitioning into the Wraith world. He's exactly. going from from the physical reality of his garden exactly. to the wraith reality to the wraith of these world. black shadows. Yeah. Yep. He's absolutely transitioning into that. In wraithening is the word I had in my notes. In wraithening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a very it's a terrifying word, but you're right. That's what's happening <laughs> yeah. here. And I love that Strider's up, by the way, just sitting, smoking, watching. Yeah. Strider, it's like the man never sleeps. Well. He's, he's almost elf-like in that regard. But yeah, I mean, you're right. He doesn't really sleep much. And no. obviously he sleeps sometimes, but. Sure. There is must. something elf-like about that. Yeah. Well, the heirs of Elendil may not forget all things past, but they do like their chapters in smallest chunks. So that's going to wrap up our <laughs> chapter discussion for the night. Uh, but folks, be sure to. <laughs> what are they doing with their time? Come on. Yeah, I know. Seriously. I mean, come on now. They could, they could last for a little bit longer. Still, be sure to come back next week when Sam reprises his sixth grade talent show entry with the Troll Song. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, we really are getting close to the end, aren't we? The end of season three. The end of season three, right. Yeah, yeah. not the not the end of all things. It's the end oh, of goodness, season no. three. Oh, goodness, no. I'm glad you're here with me, Sam, at the end of all things, here seven the, years from I'm now. I'm glad you're with me, Alan, here at the end of season three. <laughs> Before we reach into Barlaman's bag, folks, we just want to take a minute to let you know where the Fellowship of the Podcast stands right now. Yeah. We have reached our most recent goal of setting up a monthly Discord hangout with the two of us. Huzzah. Now, by the time this episode airs, that will have already taken place. But if you're interested in joining us, either for an unrecorded, off-the-cuff conversation or for a live episode recording, you'll want mm -hmm. to get signed up before Season 4 starts. That's right. And what's next for the Prancing Pony podcast and our patrons? Well, we're going to be working on that during our upcoming hiatus, so stay tuned. There will be something and it will be exciting. But in the meantime, if you're looking for a new Tolkien book, go ahead and check out the official library pages at our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. We've put together a set of links for all the books that we've ever mentioned on the show. And if you wouldn't mind posting a review on iTunes, we'd be grateful. That increases our visibility, which means more new listeners, more great questions for Barlaman, more discussion on social media, and an even more vibrant Tolkien community. 
And speaking of social media, we really do appreciate it when you share us. It's very effective, too. Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever there are Tolkien fans. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook page to find our latest T-shirt design. Now, that's going to be wrapping up soon as we get ready to head over to Tolkien 2019 in Birmingham in just three weeks. Now, with that, it's time to see what old Barnuman has in the mailbag for us. Sean. All right. Well, Mika D. reached out to us on Facebook to ask, can you do some word nerdery on canny or uncanny on the Southerner and Bree? <laughs> word nerdery. Twist my co-host arm, why don't you? <laughs> don't throw me in the briar patch. Yeah, Please, yeah. not anywhere but there. Yeah. Seriously. I'm actually kind of amazed I haven't done this one already because I love this word. But I don't know. I actually thought that we had talked about this one, but I couldn't find it in my notes. So maybe not. Or maybe it just came up in a conversation on the fly. I don't, do you remember that? Well, you know, I think we talked about it back in season two with The Hobbit. There was the uncanny fire of Gandalf's in Out of the Frying Pan into the Fire. And then there was also that uncanny darkness in Flies and Spiders. But yes, I'm fairly sure our discussion of the word was off the cuff. And so it wasn't really in our notes. That's what it must have been. Because again, I I have a memory of us discussing it, but Mm -hmm. looked through all my notes on it and could not find anything. But whatever the case, I think first it's worth highlighting the three times that this word has come up in The Lord of the Rings so far. Do you want to do that, Alan? Sure. There have been three occurrences so far in Fellowship and and none for canny. Uh, I should have said three for uncanny specifically. So mm-hmm. it's not much of a surprise, though. The latter, the actual just straight up canny, that's pretty rare. So in terms of uncanny, the first comes in Book 1, Chapter 6, The Old Forest. Sam sat down and scratched his head and yawned like a cavern. He was worried. The afternoon was getting late, and he thought this sudden sleepiness uncanny. There's more behind this than sun and warm air, he muttered to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it shows up twice in Barnum's dialogue, first in book one, chapter nine, at the sign of the prancing pony. He says, all right, Mr. Underhill, but if you're going to do any more tumbling or conjuring or whatever it was, you'd best warn folk beforehand and warn me. We're a bit suspicious around here of anything out of the way. Uncanny, if you understand me, and we don't take to it all of a sudden. And then again in book one, chapter 10, Strider, these black men, said the landlord, lowering his voice, they're looking for baggins. And if they mean well that I'm a hobbit, It was on Monday, and all the dogs were yammering and the geese screaming. Uncanny, I called it. Those are the three. Now, Mm -hmm. the most common meaning of the word uncanny is the one that probably most listeners are are familiar with. Today, it usually means strange or mysterious, especially in an unsettling way. And it comes from canny, which means knowing or wise or prudent, which comes from the verb can in its yeah, virtually obsolete sense of to know, which is related to words like cunning and ken, like when you say ken, something's yeah. beyond my ken. Yeah, like most of this show is outside of my ken. Yeah, <laughs> you do all right anyway. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, buddy. That's right. But in Scottish English, canny could also mean right or natural, and so uncanny, mm. meaning mm-hmm. strange and unsettling, was a, a late development from around 1850, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, that came out of that meaning. And, and it originally right. meant something like, you know, having to do with uh, supernatural arts or supernatural powers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Prior to the late 1700s, though, again, according to the OED, uncanny simply meant mischievous or malicious oh. or untrustworthy. And This earlier sense seems to me to be at work in the couple of times that Butterbur says it. I mean, not that the phenomena involved like, you know, the ring and the black riders and all that stuff. Not like that's not strange and unsettling or even supernatural. Mm -hmm. But Barlaman seems really to be referencing the mischief and the malice involved. Oh, yeah. Well, especially in that first example of his where he's talking about Mm -hmm. Mr. Underhill doing anything uncanny. 
Right. And it really does seem to, to be tied to that, that particular meaning. That's true, yeah. Now, that stands in contrast to the narrator's usage of it in the Old Forest. Mm-hmm. That seems much more in line with, with our typical usage. The right. sudden sleepiness that Sam experiences is strange and unsettling, even supernatural. Although, of course, mm-hmm. it's clearly malicious as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. Tolkien manages to use it with all of its meanings that's true. virtually every single time he uses it. So <laughs> that's a good point. Pretty cool stuff. Never yeah. underestimate the professor's ability to just squeeze every drop of relevance out of a particular <laughs> word choice. <laughs> true. But, well, next up, Timothy E. from Knoxville, Tennessee, wrote, us, uh, wrote to us back in January, and he asked, I wanted to ask about one thing in the shadow of the past that has always bothered slash intrigued me. Gandalf tells Frodo that for a long time, Sauron thought the ring had been destroyed by the elves. Considering how dramatic the ensuing destruction is when the ring actually is destroyed, I find that somewhat hard to believe. Does Sauron himself not know or understand the full significance of what would happen if the ring were destroyed? Also, does Sauron not realize that the ring can only be destroyed in Aradruin? He seems to assume that it would have been a straightforward task for the elves to destroy it, and therefore they must have done so. And if I recall correctly, he doesn't take any significant steps to guard Aradruin to prevent the ring's destruction once he realizes it's still alive. Is that hubris, ignorance, or both? I love the way he set that up for us. (laughs) Yeah. He goes on to say, I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. Thanks for the great podcast. (laughs) Hubris, ignorance, or both. I love that. And I I have to say it's both. And and I think it sort of describes our show, frankly. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just going to be the title of this episode hubris yeah, hubris ignorance or both. both yeah <laughs> first of all i think we do need to clarify something timothy said that well frankly i think a lot of us say when we're talking about the lord of the rings and yeah you, you know you do it i do it everybody does it i'm not pointing fingers i just think this is right. a good time to clarify this mm-hmm. although we almost always say that destroying the ring destroys sauron this isn't really the case, is it? I mean, it's not It's not like it's a binary thing. It's not like while the ring exists, Sauron exists, and then once it's destroyed, Sauron is annihilated. It's not like that. No. Gandalf actually says in Return of the King, I'm going to book five, chapter nine, the last debate for this one. Mm-hmm. He says, concerning this thing, my lords, you now all know enough for the understanding of our plight and of Sauron's. If he regains it, your valor is vain and his victory will be swift and complete so complete that none can foresee the end of it while this world lasts. If it is destroyed, then he will fall, and his fall will be so low that none can foresee his arising ever again, for he will lose the best part of the strength that was native to him in his beginning, and all that was made or begun with that power will crumble, and he will be maimed forever, becoming a mere spirit of malice that gnaws itself in the shadows, but cannot again grow or take shape. And so a great evil of this world will be removed. Hmm. So. To sum up, destroying the ring doesn't annihilate Sauron. It doesn't destroy him. It just weakens him past the point from which he can no longer regain his strength. It's, as I said before, it's not a binary thing. It's a it's a spectrum. And right. destroying the ring will finally drop him low enough on the spectrum so that, you know, that time it, it'll be it. He'll be past the point of yeah. no return. How long? How long to the point of no return? <laughs> Nicely done. Hey, you know what? We had to get another Kansas reference. So the only one wasn't that terrible. Carry on my wayward son son. from Tolkien reading day. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That that will stand. That was a terrible one. Really was. It was. 
All right, well, getting back to the topic at hand, Tolkien actually does a, a little bit of explaining why this is the case. In letter 200, this was to uh, a major Bowen in 1957, he says, After the battle with Gilgalad and Elendil, Sauron took a long while to rebuild, longer than he had done after the downfall of Numenor. I suppose because each building up used up some of the inherent energy of the spirit, which might be called the will, or the effective link between the indestructible mind and being, and the realization of its imagination. The impossibility of rebuilding after the destruction of the ring is sufficiently clear mythologically in the present book. Now, we know it took much longer for Sauron to rebuild himself after the battle with Gilgalad and Elendil than it did after the downfall of Numenor. Right. The downfall of Numenor was in 3319 of the Second Age. So, according to the Tale of Years, that's Appendix B, Sauron returned to Mordor the following year, presumably in spirit form, but was strong enough to attack Gondor just 110 years later in 3429. That is a pretty quick turnaround, yeah. Yeah, that really is. That's not bad at all, considering that mm-hmm. he'd had to flee an island that was sinking in the that ocean. Was sinking. Yeah. Now, he was overthrown by the Last Alliance in 3441, so just 12 years later. Sauron may have started to reappear as the Shadow in Mirkwood in Third Age 1100. We talked a little bit about this recently in episode 130. That was thought to be one of the Nazgul, but may have, in fact, been Sauron himself. That's right, yeah. But it wasn't until Third Age 2060 that the wise knew the shadow in Dol Guldur was Sauron. So that's a minimum of 1,100 years, and possibly as much as well over 2,000 years after his fall, not the mere hundred that it took after Numenor. So that's at least 10 times as long mm-hmm. to regenerate yeah, his strength. 10 to 20 times, time yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of my old cell phone battery. Remember the old nickel cadmium batteries that had oh, the memory? Yeah. You didn't completely yeah, run it down. Awful. It wouldn't fully charge up again. And you could never completely right. run it down unless you like no. dropping phone calls all the time. Right. Uh, I know that's a terrible example. I'm sorry. Moving on. Well, it... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isn't it though? I mean, come on. It is. No, you're right. That How Sauron kinda... is like a cell phone battery. <laughs> From the 90s. Yeah. From the 90s. Yeah. Not one of the, the new lithium ion deals. Those things no. are great. Yes, they are. (laughs) We digress. Uh, So the question is really whether Sauron knew, based on all of that stuff, whether he knew that the destruction of the ring would really weaken him past the um, Mm -hmm. point of no return. Um, And he must not have known that at first because... (laughs) And he must not have known that at first because, you know, again, according to Gandalf, as as Timothy brought up, he thought the ring had already been destroyed long ago. right. But then once he learned that the ring wasn't destroyed by Isildur long ago, I, I have to think he must have suspected. He's He's mm-hmm. got to be doing the math in his head. Like, okay, it took me 10 times as long to rebuild the second time. And that was with the ring still out there. Right, right. I think he had a pretty good idea that this was his last chance. If the ring got destroyed, that was going to be He it. would never come back, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three strikes and you're out. Yeah. Right. Well, to Timothy's second question, whether Sauron knew the ring could only be destroyed at Mount Doom. We talked about that in episode 108. We speculated that he did know that because it seems to be some magical property of the ring itself that it could only be destroyed there. That's true. And I think the issue is just that he can't imagine in a million years that anyone would ever want to do that, right? I mean... Right. Who would want to destroy this amazingly powerful thing? Right. Exactly. And no, it's true. He doesn't really... He doesn't fortify Mount Doom. He does fortify his borders. So he's got to he's got to be thinking who's who's going to be silly enough to, you know, to waltz into Mordor to destroy this ring. <laughs> One um, does not simply waltz into Mordor. <laughs> right. It's much harder than just walking into Mordor. Yeah. You can polka into Mordor, though. 
<laughs> Lawrence Welk but, once spoke in De Mordor. <laughs> oh man, sorry. that's that's an image. No. Oh goodness, sorry. It's not good. <clears throat> no. But again, it it all goes back to Sauron assumes that whoever gets the ring is going to use it as a weapon. He doesn't think that yeah. anybody would ever destroy it. Uh, no. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Manway, who, and it's going to mm-hmm. be kind of in reverse, obviously, but, you know, Manway was free from evil and could not oh. comprehend it in Melkor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I see where you're going. Sauron is the opposite. He's so full yeah. of desire to possess and use the ring that he can't imagine anyone not wanting to possess right. and use the ring. So, yeah. yeah, I think hubris and ignorance. That's a charming combination. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it, though? It is. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Please be sure to join us again next week when we run out of shin bones to serve trolls in the second part of Flight to the Ford. Well, you've got two. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, thanks again for listening. Was that too low? (laughs) That was pretty brutal. It was literally below the belt. Below the knees, actually. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Well, folks, thanks again for listening. Thank you for making our common room on Facebook such Thank a fun place to Thank you for putting up with time. us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. We want all of you to be a part of this conversation, and it does not stop when the episode ends. See the comments, questions, corrections, and more on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod, and on Instagram at Prancing Pony Pod. And a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kirdan's Contribution Tier. To May in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, Chad in Texas, and Lance in New Jersey. Thank you all. Make sure you don't miss any episodes of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and, well, most of all the elf stones that you found on Bridges to Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. Be sure to insure them before you ship them to them. And, and don't send us the trolls you found under Bridges. No, please, no. We will try to get those elf stones into our next show. Well, however long we've had. I don't even know how that would work. Look at this pretty shiny thing. Just rattle like, them in a bag in front of my microphone. There you uh, go. Yeah, it would be like QVC audio only, which is pretty useless now that I think And this it. is a lovely bag of elf stones right here that were sent to us from Minnesota. <laughs> By a listener. and Yeah. Well, folks, however long we've had, it is still truly far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable and this time very patient listeners. But until next time. <laughs> Farewell, friends. 